Good morning, church. And good morning, Pioneer Congregation. I want to say a word of thanks to the uh, Pioneer members and those who are visiting today for giving us just a little bit of space as a community to celebrate something significant that's happening in some of our lives. And so if you'll indulge us, um, we're going to be talking to a group of uh, brightly colored young people sitting on the front of the uh, congregation this morning. But before I do that, I want to say a word of thanks to you because, as we know, Andrews Academy is a constituent school of this church. And so you are a large part of the reason that we're here. And I want to say thank you to you, not kind of in a generic way, but from my heart as a parent for the investment that you have chosen to make in Christian education. So thank you. I also want to say a word of thanks to the graduating class. I'm not exactly sure if I've always been grateful for your invitation to, uh, for me to speak. Um, there's been moments where I've just wished I could sit out there and relax on a fairly chaotic weekend. But... Um, I guess it's just one last chance to say things that are on my heart to my daughter and you. So I thought I'd take it, take the chance to share that with you. I, um, I wanted to get to know you just a little bit, and I had the privilege of interviewing a few of you and attending a class Vespers, and I, I learned some really interesting things about you. Like there's some of you that talk in your sleep, and some of you that uh, have gone snowboarding in Berrien Springs, behind a van, in winter, when there's just a thin layer of snow on the ground. I noticed, I learned that there's some of you that love to go fishing, and, and some of you that come up with crazy memes, all kinds of hidden talent in this group. And uh, I've also learned that there's a tremendous bond that's developed between you. And that's one of the gifts that you're going to take with you, take with you into life. So thank you. Thank you for the opportunity and the privilege of, of sharing this moment with you. I want you to know that um, I've drawn the inspiration for my message from, your, from the motto that you chose as a class. Um, dream the impossible and achieve the improbable. And I've got good news and bad news for you today. The good news is that it's yours to dream. The bad news is that dreams often look like, when dreams actually come true, it often looks like hard work. Um, there's a few people that also need to be thanked, and we've said this over and over again um, as over the course of the weekend. But before I go, go there, I just want to know that I've kind of struggled a little bit with this whole, this whole graduation thing, because um, I'm an immigrant parent, and where we came from, we had a national exam, we took the exam, and we were done. Just done. Finished. And so this weekend of, of I've been like, what's the big to-do? Like, and then I realized, in, in America, this is a rite of passage. This is where babies become adults. 
uh, you've been practicing adults for a while, but, but society is recognizing that you, you're making that. And I realize this in my country, that happens when you're 21. We have a big party and, and we give you the keys, like a big key to the house. So, so I recognize that this is a major, a major rite of passage uh, for you. But I want you to know it's not just about you. There's other people who are graduating here today as well. And that includes your teachers. You see, everyone knows that the quality of the graduates is actually a measure of the quality of the teachers. So this is a graduation of teachers in some way as well. And I've learned as I've watched and interacted with you through Ruth that there's actually three levels of education going on at Andrews at any given time. There's the, what happens in the curricula, which you read books and you take exams for, and I just want you to know, so grateful for RenWeb. Like, you don't have to wait until the end of the semester to know things are going south. You know, you can just, like, every day, it's like, good, check up. And thanks, teachers, for keeping those up to date. That's, for those of you who don't know, that's where the teachers post the grades. I've also really loved the whole, uh, Mr. Atkins, the whole grade, you know, attendance record thing. Like, my parents had no clue if I was tardy for a cl- class or not. That, you know, that, that showed up at the end. I can't believe, by the way, I can't believe that there's some of you who have an, a perfect attendance record for the entire, I just don't know how that happens. I was like, I'm an African and you're never on time for anything. And so I want to take my, my hat off to you for that. So that's the first level. The second level, I've realized that when it comes to education, the second level of what's going on is actually what happens in the classroom. We, we have kind of alluded to this in different ways, but, but, but there's just as much learning from the curriculum as there is in how the curriculum is delivered. And uh, so I've got a few, my, my daughter's one of those people that, that has kept track of memorable quotes. And I've got a few here that I'm going to quote from your teachers. The first one, um, well, this was Mr. Wright, after he had gone, it was some, some explanation in either mathematics or physics, I don't know which one. He said, and in quote, he said, and believe it or not, that's actually useful. It's wonderful to know that things that happen in high school actually have some practical application. Um, there's another one here by Mr. Flores. A student asked Mr. Flores to give her an A because she said, um, my peg slipped. Mr. Flores responds, and you've got to, my, this is at like 7.10 in the morning, so you've got to understand the context. Mr. Flores responds, he says, I, I don't know. I can give you a B or a B plus. And of course, everyone in the class laughed. You got to get the A, the, no, the note A and the grade A. I don't know if some of you didn't get that, but that's okay. <laughs> Then there's Mr. Van, Vandenberg said this. Um, <clears throat> he lent a book. And you got to get this. This is kind of nuanced. He lent a book to a student, the, the, uh, the Merchant of Venice. And the student brings the book the next day and... and uh, He says, so did you read the book? And she says, no, I read, the first, I read the first page and I couldn't understand what was going on. And he responds, for sleuth, I am so sad. And she says, why? He says, I'm quoting the beginning of the ver- Merchant of Venice. <laughs> Then there's one by uh, Mr. Sherman. Now, 
I just want you to know, for some reason, there's a disproportionate number of quotes from Mr. Sherman's class. <laughs> and um, I was very particular in the one that I chose to be representative of the, the school. And, but this is what I think this one's good. It says, I tell you guys, this is the beauty of education. I've watched some kids who look like Neanderthals grow up into decent human beings. <laughs> I think that's just a beautiful statement, just right there. And then finally, I asked for, for comments about different teachers, and, and um, there was one comment that kept coming back, and that is that there's one particular individual that's had a major impact not only on the students, but on the whole culture of the school, and she's affected, affectionately known as Lighter Mom. Lighter Mom. And I thought this was precious. This is a quote. It says, guys, I'm back. I didn't have an intercom system for a long time, but now I'm back and I can say, I love you. And then here's the purpose of the message. But unless you're working, please clear the building. <laughs> now, if you were to do an analysis on these, we could go into that, but I just want to say, Mrs. Leiderman, I have come to appreciate your tremendous EQ. You get people at the heart level. I want to say thank you. I think there's a reason that you're the, uh, the person of the year on the yearbook this year because Jesus Christ has been doing a work in you. We want to say thank you. You know, I realize that you want Leiderman on your side. She's got a fierceness and a compassion that is a unique contribution when it comes to fighting for her, fighting for her people. You know, that's not, you're not the only ones, uh, faculty, that have made this investment. You know, parents, we've, I have some beautiful tributes this morning. Um, and uh, I don't know, I've kind of got mixed feelings about this whole graduation thing. I, I want to be honest. There's this kind of like, uh, you've, been wanting to, you've been wanting to grow up now. Now is your turn. Go and, go and do that and see what it's like to be an adult. There's that, that size, you know, that side. Then there's the side of just kind of missing and, and I don't know, parents, there's this, it's, it's, it's a mixed bag. The nostalgia. Like, where did the babies go? Like, I'm, I'm almost 50, and my mom still reminds me of the day she brought me back from the hospital. And she's like, I was just holding your hands and looking at your feet and wondering where those feet would go. And I just want you to know there's something about parents that, that that part of us will always be there. This isn't our first graduation, by the way. We've been, uh, we've been watching you graduate for years. There's the, there's the, the you know, when your day of your birth was a graduation where we kind of graduated. And, and I've come to realize that, that children actually make parents. That's, that's a kind of a backwards thing, but, but you're changing us. There's, there's actually a learning process that goes on. Children make parents, but we watched you at your birth. We watched you take your, your first faltering steps. We watched you wipe out and get up again. We've watched you make the significant graduation from diapers. I wondered when that was going to end. I really did. <laughs> it's like, I kept, I kept consoling myself that this will not be the norm at 14. Um, hopefully. 
But uh, we, watched you, we watched you make the transition from diapers, your first bicycle ride, your first crush, and we stood by your side. When I was a, a youth pastor, there was a man that came and spoke to us about the empty nest syndrome, and we're kind of moving, we've got a few more years on our family moving towards the empty nest syndrome. And uh, he said, when, when the last child left the home, and this kind of, I think, sums up the whole parenting. When the last child left the home, he said, we cried. And then we walked around like Adam and Eve. <laughs> and for some reason, that just stuck in my mind. So as, as a young youth pastor, my kids went away for a week and it's just awfully quiet in the house when nobody's home. So, graduation. Parents graduating this weekend, teachers graduating, but you're graduating graduates. And here's the kind of the core or the pith of what I want to tell you. You've said, challenge yourself to dream the impossible, to achieve the improbable, reach for the stars. The picture that you have of kind of illustrating this is of a person that's hanging upside down, climbing up this incredible, difficult, you know, difficult challenge. But I want to tell you something. I believe from the depths of my heart, as I look at the corpus of scripture, that the only way to dream the impossible is if God has shared his dream for you, with you. And the only way you will achieve the improbable is if you choose to let God's mighty power work out his purposes in you and through you. Now you can disagree with that, but I believe that I have the, the weight of scripture on the side of those two statements. And, and let, me, let me look at those with you. Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, it's one of my favorite passages. Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But, but I have come that you might have life and life abundantly. And, and what I find so brilliant about this passage is that it provides a summary it's a one-verse summary for everything that's going on in the Bible. There's an enemy. And it, like wave after wave, he is coming to bring destruction, death, pain, and sorrow. And Jesus says, I have come to interrupt that process. You see, life on this planet, normal life on this planet is full of pain full of suffering. And without the interruption, the intervention of God, that would be the norm. The first place that we see this is in the beginning of uh, the Bible, Genesis chapter, one verse, Genesis chapter 1 through 3. And I will be ever in debt to Dr. Yuji Moskala for pointing out to me that if you want to understand the Bible, you've got to get what happens in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Because the rest of the Bible writers assume that you understand what happened in that space. So in the beginning, God creates the heavens and the earth. And we discover very quickly that the purpose of his creation is to fill the world with love. 
Everything is done in an orderly fashion and finally we come to the culmination of creation. We see that God slows down, the text slows down and there God declares in Genesis 1 verse 26 his intention to make humankind. God says, let us make humankind in our image and our likeness. He actually intended for us to to look like him somehow and be like him in our character. That was his intention. And then he says, I want you to rule. I want you to have authority over the, over the air and the water and the land. I want you to have authority. And, uh, and then he gets about starting the process of creation. And instead of a singularity, he creates male and female. And what we realize is that God's dream, his purpose is a relational reality that, that you've got male and you've got female, male and, and female together, and that's the only way that can reveal the image and the likeness of God. And the very first thing that God does in response, or the very first thing he does in relationship to this creation, the very first word that comes to his creation is, is a word of blessing. The Bible says, and God blessed them. And he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So what I realize as I study this, what I realize is that you and I were born for blessing. That was God's intention. That he made us to be the object of his blessing. And not only that, that he actually created us with the purpose of taking that blessing, bearing his image in a relational dimension, and then filling the earth with his image, with his likeness, with his authority, and with his blessing. That was his purpose. Well, Genesis 3 comes along, and we realize that as a result of deception and choices, that blessing can be taken away. And instead of blessing, we have curses. Instead of authority, we have conflict. Instead of fruitfulness, there's pain and suffering. And here's what I realize, and what I want you to see, and that is God has a dream, a dream that starts right after the fall, and his dream, his impossible dream, is to restore his blessing to us and to humankind. This story is, no, uh, no, is, is illustrated nowhere else better, I think, than in the story of Joseph. As a matter of fact, as I was wrestling with, there's two stories that I could have chosen. One would be the story of Ruth. The other one was the story of Joseph. And um, I, I decided that preaching a sermon on the story of Ruth would be a conflict of interest. So I, I went with Joseph. And uh, you'll have a ruthless sermon today for that reason. I want you to think about Paul Joseph. Look at this guy's life. You, you just take a close look at Joe and, and you realize he, he's got it pretty bad. I mean, it's, it's really bad. His great 
grandfather lies to cover his skin. His grandfather lies. And his father's name, before it was changed, was deceiver. His father marries not one wife, but two wives, and they're sisters. Like, how messed up was that? And then that's not enough. He also has some sort of relationship with his wives' servants with benefits. Like, there's something going on there that's also pretty hard to get your mind around. When he's very young, his mother dies while giving birth to his brother. He's a, he, he grows up estranged from his maternal grandparents. They, they live in another country and there's something bad that went down there. His father is, a, is, a, is disabled. And there's a story about him being disabled because he fought with a supernatural being. Imagine that was part of your legacy. This, his sister is raped by a prince and then his brothers massacre the whole city. And it just goes on from there. I mean, it's a mess. I mean, you read the story. It's, Joseph lives in a dysfunctional family. I'm imagining with all of this going on and his dad's got these two boys and he's kind of single parenting them with all this other mess going on. It's three other women that could help, but I think there was a little bit of family tension going on there. So he gets Joseph the special coat and that kind of backfires. I mean, Joseph lives in a mess. And here's the point that I want to make to you. Now, you know, it's often it's easy for us to look at other people and other families and to say, I wish my family was as functional as theirs. Here's the bad news, my friends. After Eden, every family has some level of brokenness and dysfunction. Here's what I know. You're dressed in a beautiful gown. And you have a lovely, you know, you've groomed yourselves nicely. But behind that are stories where every single one of us has come close to the curse. We bear scars. We have pains. And if that's where the stories end, there would be no hope. But here's the wonderful thing. It's in the context of this craziness that Joseph becomes aware that God has a dream for him. As a matter of fact, when the dream comes to Joseph, it doesn't go very well. He's got this dream, and, and, and he, he, sees, he sees his brothers in here at a mighty harvest, kind of, a, kind of an illusion back to Genesis chapter, chapter 1 of fruitfulness, and, and there's sheaves, and, and they're all standing around, and these sheaves bend down to him, and he's like, what's up with that? And then he has a second dream, and, and there's the sun and the moon and, and the stars, and, and they're all bowing down to him, and his family knows immediately this has got to do with worship somehow. And they're like, his brothers get mad, they, they, they hate him for it, and his father's like, come on, Joe. Like, you know the tensions, you know the dysfunctions. You're like, that's just not wise to do in our family. But here's the thing. When God gives you a dream, it doesn't always make sense when you get it. Here's the fr thing, friends. You can dream the impossible dream. People have been doing that forever. But if you want to have a dream that's going to turn the world upside down, you've got to have a dream that 
is a dream that God has for you that is given to you. God has a dream for you. God has a purpose for your life. And as that dream unfolds, you may not understand. You may feel a a brooding in the context of your pain. You may feel a calling. It's easy to dream the impossible dream, but to do something improbable, that takes a whole other step. Now look at this, look at this um, the story as it begins to unfold. Because you see, God gives Joseph the dream, and as the dream begins to come true, it doesn't look very good. The first thing that happens that's actually beginning to fulfill the dream that God has for Joseph is that his brothers capture him, throw him in a pit, and sell him into slavery. I want to just tell you something. You may be dreaming of, uh, of having a terminal degree one day. I dreamed for a long, when I came to Andrews University many years ago, I dreamed I want to have a terminal degree. And when my dream came true, my, my, one of my professors standing here, when my dream came true, I realized that when dreams come true, they often look like hard work. They often look like struggle. Some of you are dreaming that one day you'll have a beautiful family. I want to tell you something, friends. To have a beautiful family is not easy. It's hard work. Being married to someone that's different from you and making that space a loving space that's filled with blessing and beauty doesn't come easy this side of Eden. You may be dreaming of having a family with children. I want to tell you, children will drive you crazy. <laughs> and they cost so much. I want to tell you, I can't tell you how much. I was just thinking, when we called for the offering, I'm like, man, hats off to those parents for the suffering that they've been through. So when dreams come true, they often look like messes and diapers, like bills and conflict. And here's Joseph. His dreams begin starting to become true. And, and it's about, it looks like he's been sold into slavery. You want the dream job that pays? I want to tell you, any dream job that pays well, you're selling yourself into slavery for that job. <coughs> but there's something that happens inside of Joseph on his way down to Egypt, there's something that turns inside of him and he calibrates his compass towards God. He makes a decision deep inside of his soul. He says, the God of my fathers will be my God. And in spite of my circumstances, I'm going to live to honor him. That's Joseph's first graduation, slavery. So today we're here to celebrate that you're going to be moving on. And some of you are going to go to school and you're, going to, you're being accepted and you can't wait to get into school. Just, i got bad news for you, slavery. <laughs> Here's what we learned from the story of Joseph. It's the choices you make in slavery that prepare you to deliver the dream.
It's the choices we make in slavery that prepare us to de- that prepares us to deliver the dream. The next graduation that Joseph has is in Potiphar's house. So it's from slavery first graduation. The next one has got to do with seduction. You know, one of the greatest challenges of going to Christian school is the problem of immunization. When you live in a sterile environment where you can't do this and you can't do this and the only way you do it is if you kind of break the rules and it's kind of like, you're the bad one, like so much courage. Like wearing a dress that's just, just like, nope, go back, got it. Or sneaking out on Saturday night and experimenting with different kinds of alternative realities. That's the norm. That's not the norm in a Christian school because you've got a lot of good people like me talking to you and a lot of peer pressure and etc. So what happens when you're no longer home and you no longer have the constraints, the straight jacket of religious oppression? Joseph's far away from home. He's working in the house of his slave master. And he faces his Potiphar's wife. Now, boys and girls, young men and women, I want to tell you that your Potiphar's wife is going to take a wide variety of shapes and forms. But your next graduation will depend on how you face your Potiphar's wife. Because you see, Potiphar's wives, whatever they are, whatever seduction, and remember the seduction is the choice between doing what feels good and what is good. It's a choice every one of us is going to have to make. And part of becoming adults, part of the reason your parents have just bought new knee pads as they envision you taking off on your own is the realization that you can crash and burn on your own. That you can make decisions that will destroy your life. We know that can happen, but we know it must happen. We know you need to take that step on your own, as wobbly as it may be. Joseph's second graduation is when he's given the opportunity for his dream to be stolen by seduction. He says no. He says no. Guys, I work for a mission sending agency and we have this strange phenomenon. Over the last five to ten years, we have about 30 student missionaries coming and only about between five and ten percent are guys, mostly girls going out and serving in different places in the world. And we're asking, where's the guys gone? Where's the guys? I found this fascinating YouTube clip by a by a secular psychologist. It's called The Demise of Guys. And this guy is suggesting that porn and video gaming is basically taking out a generation of men who are engaged in society. And the statistics are there. Your Potiphar's wife will be there to meet you. It's one thing to have an impossible dream, my friends. It's one thing to have an impossible dream. 
But unless that dream is a dream that God has given to you, it will not sustain you through the challenge of seduction. Well, we said his first graduate looked like going into slavery. His, Joseph's second graduation, when he passes his next major test, looks like going to prison. But you see, the thing about Joseph is that while these terrible things are happening on the outside of him, something profound is happening on the inside of him. Because here's what we know, that true good, true greatness, the actual improbable is the result of God's miraculous working in you of his mighty power. He's changing you from the the inside out. And so it's not about what's happening in your circumstances. It's what's happening in your character. And so Joseph goes down even deeper into prison. His next graduation. And then the final stage, the final graduation that, that Joseph has is a graduation to salvation. And now think about this. We, your, your vision is, your, your, your statement was, dream what? Dream the impossible. Achieve the improbable. How probable was it that this kid, this backwards kid, would become the second in command to the most powerful person on the planet. And as a result, not just his family, but the entire world was given bread. Talk about improbable. That's mind-boggling. Now let's go back to Genesis chapter, let's go back to Genesis and we realize that what God is demonstrating, what Moses, because Moses is writing the story, what Moses is demonstrating through the life of, life of Joseph it was, is what it looks like when God is restoring, when God is accomplishing his dream. It was God's purpose in the beginning that we would be blessed by him and you read through the story of Joseph that everything that Joseph does is blessed. And then, and then, God says, I want you to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And we see in the story of Joseph that as a result of his stewardship, first in Potiphar, then in prison, then at the helm of of this most powerful nation, everything that he touches results in fruitfulness and blessing that ultimately fills the earth. God's dream has been worked out in the life of Joseph. He brings salvation. But it goes a step deeper than just salvation. Bringing bread to dying people. The story of Joseph culminates with our scripture reading this morning, where there's redemption. His dad and his brothers have lived with tremendous guilt and grief in their life. And I just tear up, I choke up every single time I come to the story. Because here's this man, you've you got to believe that when, when he's sitting there and his brothers come and they kneel down before him, you've got to believe that there's something, there's something huge going on in, in Joseph's heart. He's something stirring deep inside of him and he's realizing that God is on the move. But Joseph's true character is revealed when he's alone in the room with his brothers. And he can look him in the eye and say, 
you're forgiven. Don't hold this against yourselves. God was doing something here. God was doing something here that was for good. That was for good. Grace and redemption. You see, I've come to the conclusion that salvation looks like relational healing. That if you want to actually see or catch where God is at work, He actually works His salvation out through improving the quality of the lives of the people around us. Jesus says the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That is the norm in relational reality. Relationships are hard, loving is hard. But when God moves, he brings healing and reconciliation. Now the crazy thing about Joseph is that his life is simply a foreshadowing of the life of Christ. And we, we can see that. We, we know that. The foreshadowing of the life of Christ. Instead of slavery, we've got, we, in Philippians chapter 2, we see that Jesus came as a, as a servant. So, so Jesus has a graduation where he steps down to be with us. One with us in our suffering. His next graduation, he lives a life of a servant on this earth. His next graduation is not in prison, but it's in Gethsemane and the cross. And once again, we realize that when God is working out his dreams, accomplishing his improbable, it actually looks completely different from measures of success that we may have for ourselves. And then finally, when he rises, demonstrating that death no longer has hold on him, he's not only providing bread for a dying world, he's providing living bread. That there's hope that goes beyond just survival. We can live and live again. It's a foreshadowing. And here's my, here's my challenge to you. You want to dream an impossible dream? God has a dream for you. It's for you to belong to what he's doing on this planet. Ever since the fall, it has been his intention to bring us back to Eden. And you have a choice as to who you will align your life with, my friends. Will it be with the enemy that comes to kill, steal, and destroy? Or will it be with Jesus who's come to give us life and life abundantly through the struggle for blessing for the purpose of filling the earth with his, with his love? One day very soon, in a few hours, you're going to be marching, crossing the line of your graduation. And as I reflected on that, I think there's actually something very useful in everything that uh, I quoted you from your teachers. I want to come back to this one more time. 
as we look at the word and God's powerful calling and his dream and his purpose for you in the word, I can agree with Mr. Wright that believe it or not, there's actually something very useful there that you'll find in the word. As you go through life, you're going to find that you're going to be out of tune from time to time with God's purposes in your life. And you might need to look to the Word and look to Jesus Christ for an A to retune your string. And for sleuth, if you choose not to follow the path of Jesus Christ, how sad it will actually be. Because I tell you guys that the greatest beauty of education that I've watched is some kids who look like Neanderthals actually turn out to look like Jesus Christ. You see, cross the wall in your institution of education that says to restore in mankind the image of his maker or her maker is the object of education. And finally, one day, it's not going to be Lightermom, but it's going to be Jesus, and I can imagine him saying, guys, I'm back. I didn't have a direct intercom with you for a while, but now I'm back and I can finally tell you that I love you. It's time, time to wrap up our work on this planet. It's time for us to go home. So my dear esteemed colleagues, dream the impossible. And by God's grace, join him in doing the improbable.